BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Here are your California headlines. In Riverside County this morning, firefighters continue to battle the Highland Fire, which as of last report has burned nearly 2,500 acres in a sparsely populated rural area of the county. The blaze has also destroyed or damaged nine structures. Maggie Klein de la Rosa is with Cal Fire in Riverside. We do have adequate resources with engines and hand crews that are here and that are still coming. We just ask that the public please remain vigilant. If you received an evacuation order, please leave. About 4,000 people are under evacuation orders. Negotiators for the Actors Union, SAG-AFTRA, and studios will meet today to try to resolve the strike by film and television actors, which is now in its 111th day. Trade publication Variety reports that talks held yesterday were productive, and both sides are projecting cautious optimism, but producers are warning this week is critical to salvaging partial seasons of scripted network TV shows. Meanwhile, SAG-AFTRA will hold what it's calling a unity picket event today at Disney headquarters in Burbank. In Fresno, the union representing teachers and the public school district have reached a deal for a new contract. That averts a strike that was scheduled to begin today. From Fresno, KVPR's Rachel Livinall reports. Cheers erupted at the steps of Fresno High School as the district and the teachers union shook hands over a new teacher contract. The agreement was reached after nearly a year of negotiations. And just as teachers were preparing to leave the classroom and go on the strike. The agreement reached Tuesday averted the work stoppage, which would have been the first time this happened in the district in more than 40 years. Fresno Unified is also the state's third largest school district. Manuel Bonilla, the president of the Teachers Association, celebrated the new agreement. And change doesn't happen overnight. But today we've laid a groundwork for a transformation to improve the lives of over 70,000 students in our community. The new agreement includes class size reductions, competitive teacher salaries, and investments into social and emotional support for students. School officials plan to get to work on fulfilling those agreements as soon as next week. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Livinall. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just 
what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. The end of this year will mark the end of California's historic program to pay reparations to survivors of state-sponsored sterilization. There are an estimated 600 living survivors, but 70% of the applications for reparations that have been received have been rejected. Among those who have been denied include a group of survivors who had a procedure known as an endometrial ablation. Kayla Mihalovich has been reporting on this story for over a year and joins me now to talk about it. Hi, Kayla. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. So first things first, tell me what is an endometrial ablation and how does it relate to fertility? Yeah, so an endometrial ablation is a procedure that's intended to treat abnormal uterine bleeding. It damages the uterine lining, so it dramatically reduces a person's ability to get pregnant. And that's why OBGYNs I've spoken to say that they would never give an ablation to someone who has any desire for children. And you've been speaking to survivors in the course of your reporting of endometrial ablations. These are both current and formerly incarcerated people. Can you describe how it's affected them? Yeah. So I spoke with five women and one trans man who had ablations and were denied reparations. And one of those people was Sharon Phoenix, who had an endometrial ablation in 2006 while she was incarcerated at Valley State Prison. And the doctor who ordered the ablation told her that she had fibroids and the procedure would stop her heavy bleeding. Sharon says that she did not give informed consent for this procedure. She had no idea that it would make pregnancy unlikely. She applied for reparations and she was denied, and she appealed that decision, and that was denied too. So she submitted a second application and appeal, and both of those were denied again. You dehumanized me. You took my body. You did what you wanted to do to it. Like, how dare you think that it was okay for you not to tell me what you were doing to me? And how dare you later on tell me that I don't deserve to be one of the ones that get reparations for it? Uh, You're wrong. So, Kayla, why is the Compensation Board refusing to give reparations to people who've had ablations? The legislation intentionally did not define sterilization because the people who wrote the law knew that they would not be able to capture all of the ways in which unethical physicians were using procedures to limit an incarcerated person's fertility. And in fact, medical experts say that many treatments can profoundly impact a person's fertility, so the law's drafters left it really broad. And in Sharon's denial letter, The Compensation Board said that because legislators didn't actually define sterilization, they used a law dictionary definition. 
which called it the permanent inability to produce offspring. And so based on that, they argued that ablations don't qualify as sterilization. But like I said before, I spoke with five doctors who all said that they would never perform an ablation on someone who has any desire for children. So what's next for people like Sharon and others who've had coercive ablations? So Sharon and another formerly incarcerated woman who received an ablation are filing a petition in state courts next week in the hope that the compensation board's decision will be overturned. And their attorney told me that filing this petition is a really important step because the compensation board's denials are arbitrary and they're not based on law or science. All right. We have been speaking to Kayla Mihalovich. You can read her reporting on this story on KQED's website. That's kqed.org. Kayla, thanks for joining us on the California Report. Thanks so much for having me. And that is this edition of the California Report for Wednesday, November 1st. Yes, November 1st already. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Hint. Fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple. In stores or delivered from HintWater.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration, and discovery on the web at SchmidtOcean.org. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.